good to be here with you. I love this season. Uh, it is funny because I don't know about you, but I seem to have a lot of extra things going on this holiday season. And even though it feels like uh, it's been like 12 weeks of December, I still feel like it's rushing up uh, to meet me uh, halfway. And so, uh, so we're running hard. It has been a great season, uh, a great series. Hopefully you've enjoyed the uh, Who Needs Christmas series. And um, I do want to give credit and thank um, both Waypoint and North Point, two churches and network with, to uh, help build that series. And uh, we are today going to have a conversation about the perfect Christmas. How many of you would like to experience the perfect Christmas? Yeah, right? I wonder if I gave you about 10 seconds to just think about the perfect Christmas, if you'd have a picture of what the perfect Christmas would be for you. I'm gonna give you like 10 seconds. Just imagine and think, what do you see when you hear the words, the perfect Christmas? What comes to your mind? Ten seconds is a long time of silence when I uh, when I stop talking, huh? You're like, hey, that guy's supposed to talk. Hey, the perfect Christmas, what comes to mind? It's funny because I think we all have a different picture of the perfect Christmas. I know in my life, in different seasons of my life, the perfect Christmas has looked a lot different from time to time. When I was younger, the perfect Christmas meant the perfect toy. I remember the first perfect Christmas, the first perfect Christmas gift I ever got a Voltron robot, come on now, all five lions, back when toys were metal and tough and they could survive anything except your cousin using them for batting practice. <laughs> yes, I haven't forgiven him for that yet. Um, but when I was younger, the perfect Christmas was presents. Later, the perfect Christmas was family and was people. At some points, when I think of the perfect Christmas, I think of the right people. I think of the right music. What's the perfect Christmas music that's playing when you think of the perfect Christmas? Is it somebody uh, jazzy and cool and new, like a Michael Bublé? He's fun to say his name, right? Is it something like that? Is it old school? Are you still a fan of band songs like Baby It's Cold Outside? I'm just kidding. <laughs> but what goes in your head when you're hearing the perfect Christmas music? Is it Amy Grant? Come on, somebody. Is it food? Is it a breakfast? Is it a lunch? Is it Puerto Rican food? Like for me, is it pasteles and panadillas? And no? <laughs> is it turkey? Come on, what do we eat up here? Ham? Is it cookies? Is it the right dessert? Is it not Christmas until you get the perfect dessert there? It's funny, the perfect Christmas, it involves so many different things and depending on where you are in life. For some of you, the perfect Christmas is just having the right kids there with you. For some of you, the perfect Christmas is someone who's not there and didn't show up. And you're like, oh, it would just be the perfect Christmas. It's funny, the perfect Christmas changes. I think if you ask me today, the perfect Christmas needs my family and needs our church family and it needs to, to be sincere. It needs to be less expensive. I mean, um, <laughs> come on, somebody. Oh, one of my favorite Christmas memories when I think back to the perfect Christmas. I'm with all my cousins. There's about 50 of us in this about 1,200 square foot house. Now it's California, so we can be outside and just spread and sprawled all over the place, even in December. 
and we're looking for something to do and we haven't opened pre- all the presents yet. So we're, we're chomping at the bit for an activity. We always had a sport or a game and there was nothing around that we could find to use except for one of my cousins had a doll. And one of us suggested, hey, I bet we could hacky sack with that doll's head. So I won't say who distracted her, but someone ripped the head off of that doll. And my favorite memory was about 12 to 15 of the cousins in a circle in the backyard, hacky sacking with this little doll's head. And uh, I don't know if it was my cousin Angela's favorite Christmas. Sorry, Ange, if you're listening to this online. I don't know if it was her favorite Christmas memory, but that was a great memory. The cousins together and being together and laughing and having fun. Some of you are like, you're so mean. Ah, she's over it by now. (laughs) Come on, what are cousins for? It's the perfect Christmas. But it's funny, we have a picture of the perfect Christmas. And I just want to give you a little dose of reality. Whatever your picture of the perfect Christmas is this year, it's probably not going to happen. Let us pray. Jesus, no. (laughs) It's probably not going to happen. Why? Because we are people. And when you get people into the equation, sometimes our picture of a perfect Christmas isn't something that's attainable. You know why? Because someone's going to show up that's going to make it not perfect. Someone's not going to show up that's going to make it not perfect for you. Come on now. The music's not going to be on just at the right time, at the right moment. Someone's going to leave the oven on and the, and the cookies aren't going to be cooked just right. Something's going to happen and it's going to wreck this picture of whatever a perfect Christmas would be for you. Even though Christmas is a wonderful time of the year, I think sometimes it also accents how badly we want everything to be perfect. And our pressure that we put on each other for everything to be perfect. Can I give you an example of a perfect Christmas failing for me right in this moment? I didn't have time to figure out why that tree's not all lit up. It's bothering me all service. Now you're all thinking about it. It's bothering you too, right? But here's the thing. We had a giant youth event. We had 40 kids in here playing video games and dart guns and everything going on on Thursday. And I'm sure that affected the tree. So that was perfect. I'm happy that we had kids in here and they're playing and having fun and dorking around. We want that to happen. So yay. But it's not perfect. So what's the definition of perfect? The definition of perfect is conforming absolutely to the description or definition of an ideal type. Everything has to absolutely conform for something to be perfect. And I'm just going to tell you, if you have a picture of your perfect Christmas, it's probably not going to happen. It's probably not. Here's the thing that's interesting to me. When I look at the Christmas story and I look at the lives of the people involved in the Christmas story, probably wasn't the ideal, come on now, type for them either. Probably wasn't the ideal situation for them either. Last week, we talked a lot about the picture that Joseph had in the Christmas story. But this week, I want to talk a little bit about Mary. And I want to talk a little bit about how imperfect this story must have felt to her at the time. We have the benefit of 2,000 years of history looking back and seeing how everything worked out. But for a moment, I'd like to take us inside of Mary's story and her life in this time when things sure didn't seem to be ideal to this incredible young Woman, And if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Luke today. And uh, you can jump over to Luke uh, chapter 2, and I'm going to flip back and forth between 2 and 1 a little bit. I was thinking that if Christmas was perfect, then we wouldn't need a holiday a week later where we make resolutions about all the things we got to change 
<laughs> that didn't work out. <laughs> and all the, all the stuff that has to happen next. It's interesting as we get into the story of the birth of Jesus, and we're reading from Luke, and Luke is this amazing uh, character in history because Luke wasn't present at the events that he's about to describe. Luke was a medical doctor and a historian, and Luke, having lived at the same time as Jesus and the same time of, those, uh, of the death and resurrection of Jesus, became a follower of Jesus, even though he wasn't Jewish, and it became important to him to go get an accurate story of what happened. And I love the gospel in the book of Luke because it's written by someone who's a historian who wants to get the facts correct. And he says, I went and I interviewed and I talked to these people and I collected the data. And Luke, we believe historically, talked to Mary. Said, tell me about this thing that happened to you. Give it to me in your words. And so we have more of Mary's words in Luke than anywhere else. And it's amazing to kind of hear the story as Luke uh, transcribes it to make sure that we understand when and where and what happened in this moment. And I gotta be honest with you, the situation and the circumstances don't appear ideal to me. They don't appear perfect to me. There's no way in this circumstance I would have felt uh, like, hey, this is working out to be my perfect scenario. So in Luke chapter two, it says this. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Why is this so important? Because Luke is a historian and he wants you to understand this is not once upon a time in a land far, far away, in a galaxy far, far away. It's not something like that. He's saying, I want you to understand where in history these events happened. You can look on a calendar. You remember this emperor. You know this season of life. I'm a historian. These are data and these are facts that you can look up. For this first century Jewish community re, re, uh, retelling this story, they would have the data to be able to tell. They would know people who experienced this season of life. Verse 3, and he says, And everyone went to their own town to register. So this census ignites a mass transition, mass transit moment at the end of the year where they're going from place to place where they're from so they can register and be counted. So Joseph, who we spent a lot of time talking about last week, also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and the line of David. So he had to go back to where his people were from so he could register and be counted because it was ordered that a census must be taken. Verse 5, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I want you to note something. This is not the perfect circumstance. This is not the perfect circumstance. Now, I don't know if the beard gives it away, but I have never given birth to a baby. But I have been around a woman who has done that three times. And I can tell you, when she's very pregnant, travel is not her favorite thing to do. I'm not sure if you've ever looked at the geography of this, but the route that they went on was at minimum 70 miles, at maximum 90 miles. I just want you to imagine you're nine months pregnant or your wife is nine months pregnant and you got a 70 to 90 mile on foot journey to take 
that the government has ordered you to take immediately. Now, we see pictures of Mary riding on a donkey. We assume that that's most likely how she would have traveled at that time, but there's no biblical evidence of that fact. We know they're not wealthy. At best, she's riding on a donkey. At best. Nine months pregnant. Just get that picture in your head for a second here. I don't know if you have a picture of a perfect Christmas, but if it involves nine months pregnant and 70 to 90 miles on a donkey, you are better than I am. Because no, that falls off the perfect circumstance for me. You're about ready to have that baby. Now think about this for Mary. Not only does she have a nine months pregnant journey to go on, she doesn't know when this baby's coming. She knows it's coming soon. It's her first. She's inexperienced in this whole thing. She's going through this process. She's got to travel to a place where it's not home. I mean, can I just be real for you? I, we probably toured every hospital that we had a baby in six times. We had to know which room we were going to be in, which doctor we were going to have. There was conversations. Like, there was a lot of things that we had to know for sure as that baby was coming. Mary knows none of these things. The baby's coming, but the government says, we got to go. Not only that, she's pledged to be married. She's not married. She's having a baby. We talked about this last week on Joseph's side of the story. She's in a very vulnerable position. Legally, she's committed a crime. Although she's not done anything, legally she could be accused of and charged and convicted with a crime. She's pregnant, but she hasn't had a relationship with her husband yet. That's not a perfect scenario. There was fear potentially at some point whether or not Joseph would receive her and, 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 uh, and take her in. And, and so this isn't perfect for her. After a, let's say, 80-mile journey on foot, on donkey back, nine months pregnant, they show up. Joseph has not booked a room ahead of time. <laughs> Gentlemen, <laughs> imagine the conversation. There's not a room? You don't have a place for us? I heard one pastor say, that's probably why it was a silent night. I'm just saying. <laughs> Imagine the explanation to your young would-be bride ready to have a baby. Well, they got a spot for us out back with the animals. Well, where are we going to put the baby once he's born? We're going to put him in the trough. We're going to lay him in the manger. That's where the animals eat and drink. I'm not sure if you're getting a picture, but this is not the perfect circumstance. This is not the ideal. If perfect means ideal, this is not the ideal circumstance that Mary would have envisioned her first child being born into. This is not the plan that she would have loved to see happen. Look what happens next. Verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Now, these are living out in the fields because they don't have houses in this profession. They're living in the fields, and they're keeping watch over the flocks at night. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I, I love this picture of, of the shepherds being terrified because I think we forget. 
Like, it's a relatively new phenomenon to be out and have, like, electric lights that you could just light up the sky. And for them to be out at night in the dark, and suddenly, there's light, and the glory of the Lord shines around them. Terrified is the right response. Just saying. It says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for who? All the people. This is good news that's gonna cause great joy for all the people. Because today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you and he is the Messiah, the Lord. And I can imagine them going, whoa, this is awesome. There's a Messiah born. Come on now, superhero drop, boom. He's here. It's gonna be awesome. We're gonna go down there. He's probably glowing like you're glowing, right? He's probably got a sword in his little baby fist already and he's gonna conquer everything. We're gonna see him. There's gonna be a little crown on him and you know, it's, it's gonna be awesome. And he goes, okay, well, this will be the sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Wait, what? That's not the ideal scenario for the Messiah to be born. That's not, come on now, if someone said, hey, the future king of the universe, the king of the, God in a bod is here. Let's go see him. Yes, where's he at? Oh, he's at the farm. Okay, where's he at in the farm? Oh, he's out back with the animals. Okay, where's he at with the animals? He's in the food trough. Wait, what? Wait, what? Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared. There's probably a little more conversation happening. And suddenly they were like, um, let me just end the conversation. It says, with the angel. And they started praising God saying, glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Suddenly a worship chorus breaks out. They're looking at each other and they're like, uh, okay. So we're going to go to the animal trough. Okay. And then what do we do? And then boom, worship breaks out. Boom, it's exciting, it's big, it's loud. And it says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds were like, well, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. I love the conversation that the angels have with them. He says, don't be afraid, this is good news for absolutely everybody. Absolutely everybody. Jesus is coming into the world. Joy is coming into the world. God is demonstrating his love. This week we light the love candle of the Advent wreath. God is demonstrating his incredible love for you and for the world. Verse 16 says, so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. I love that Luke, he's the historian. He's like, dude, it actually happened. He was literally lying in the manger. Verse 17, it says, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured all these things up and pondered them in her heart. That's a good verse. We'll come back to that. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And on the eighth day, when it came time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Now, listen, if you're Mary, you already don't have the perfect circumstances. 
you've been traveling, you're tired, you're very pregnant, you're in the animal area, your baby's in the manger slash trough. I don't know who you want your first visitors to be. Ladies, I have seen families ripped asunder over who gets in the room right when or right after the baby was born. I have seen families like years later no longer connected at the same way. I just know this, even though I'm not a lady, I'm gonna speak on behalf of ladies, it matters who gets to be there and who's there. And there's people you want there. There's people you probably don't want there. Most of you want mom, for instance, who's not in this picture or this story anywhere. Most of you are okay with hubby being there. But let's talk about shepherds for a second. <laughs> shepherds were not considered upper-class individuals at this time. You have to understand, they lived in the fields with the sheep. They were transient. They went from town to town. They, they drove the sheep through pasture to pasture. They went where the food was. And because of that, they didn't have roots. It was kind of like a gypsy lifestyle. They didn't have roots in a community. And because they didn't have roots in a community, they were generally not trusted. They were... Uh, 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 not counted on. They couldn't even give testimony in court because no one could vouch for them or their character. They didn't maintain like a family history the way that the other Jews would have done that in a way that kept their, uh, their credibility up in the communities that they went to. The shepherds were not popular. They were not upper class. They were not people with homes. They were not clean. They were at home with the animals near the trough. None of those things were probably Mary's ideal first guess with the baby. And so I just want you to understand that sometimes it's not the perfect guess. It's not everyone you always hoped would have been there. It's not everyone you thought should be there. It was not the perfect guess. Yet in the midst of this, God chooses the most humble, the lowliest, and says that this thing I'm doing is for all people. And the first people to go out and testify, the first people to go out and say, hey, there's a savior that's been born, the first people to go alert the crowds that Jesus is on the scene, the first evangelist in the entire scripture for Jesus were shepherds. What a... What a strange plan to unpack, to choose lowly people of no reputation who were not respected and did not have authority, couldn't even speak in court, to go be the individuals to declare and, and let everyone else. You know why? These are people who would not discriminate on who they told. These are people who would not discriminate, who would not say, oh, this must be for this class of people because we're not that class of people. This is for everybody. These are people who would have went from person to person with no, no expectation. But they weren't the perfect guests. So what was Mary's response? Because here's the thing. I think as we look at the Christmas season, it's easy to get frustrated when it's not the perfect circumstance. It's easy to get frustrated when it's not the perfect people 
around us. And so what is it we can learn from Mary's response through all this? What does Mary have to teach us about finding a perfect Christmas experience when things are not ideal? One thing is we're going to have to flip the, the, the idea of perfect away from ideal. Verse 19, if you caught that, it said, but Mary treasured up all these things and she pondered them in her heart. I'm imagining she had to process this a little bit. She's human. She had to go, hmm, let me think what I think about this. Some of us just got to learn to ponder and process some things before we let them escape our mouth. And that would probably be the wisest thing that any of us could hear all Christmas season. When the circumstances aren't perfect, ponder them before you let it out, right? When the guests aren't perfect, ponder that in your heart before you let your tongue loose, right? Mary doesn't talk right away. She's going to talk in a minute. She's going to tell us what she thinks about this whole situation that's breaking down for her. She is going to let us know. But before we hear any of that, we just want to know what's going on in Mary. She's treasuring these things up in her heart, and she's pondering them. She's processing them. She's figuring it out how all of these elements of her story work. You got to imagine Luke having a conversation with her years and years later. She's probably, gosh, she's got to be, let's see, she's what, 12 to 16 in this, ser- in this time of life. Jesus is 33 years. Luke comes on the scene about five years later. She's like in her 60s, maybe almost 60s, 50 to 60 range. And Luke's having a conversation with her. And she's saying, all right, I was nine months pregnant. He was my first. Caesar, oh, now's the time when you're going to issue a decree that we're going to do a census. Joseph throws me on the back of the donkey and we go to his hometown in Bethlehem. Even though that's where he's from, he's got no friends or family for us to stay with. He drags me over there. There's no plan. It's a silent night. Here comes the baby that God promised me. And while I'm there and I'm recovering and the baby's in the trough and the animals are everywhere and we're just so happy that we're at the end of what seems like this crazy journey, these shepherds show up and they have a ridiculous story, but it's amazing looking back. They saw angels that told them to come. Through all this, she treasured it in her heart. I wonder if we can do that too. I wonder if in our imperfect situations, we can store up in our heart the idea that maybe God is doing something still. In order to see how Mary got here, we might have to go back a little bit and see a little bit of her process. I think her process will help us understand her response. And so I'm gonna flip back a page to Luke chapter one. Verse 26, and we're going to see how Mary finds out what's happening. In verse 26 of Luke chapter 1, Luke records Mary telling him this story, that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, the angel Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and that virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. See, 
before the moments that were imperfect that we just saw, that maybe weren't ideal, I should say, that we just saw, she heard from God that he was with her. God sent an angel and said, hey, you're highly favored, I'm with you. You're highly favored, I'm with you. You're highly favored, I'm with you. I wonder if that story, if that element of the story is the element of the story you need to hear this season to even head into the next couple of days. That when God looks down from heaven at you, he goes, ah, that's my kid that I love. They're highly favored. I'm with them. Remember, his promise is always his presence. All throughout the scripture, it's never the ideal circumstance. The promise is always he'll be with us in every circumstance. Not that every circumstance will be ideal. If every circumstance had to be ideal, it, it would be chaos. It would like be a rip in the matrix. Come on now. Because your ideal circumstance and someone else's ideal circumstance would conflict. For some people, you're the one they don't want at Christmas and they're the one you don't want at Christmas. And it would just be like, it would just, the matrix would rip. The ideal circumstance is never the promise. His presence is always the promise. So Mary gets reminded that his presence is always the promise before everything else happens. I think sometimes if we'd start there, maybe it'd change everything. The Lord is with you. He's on your side. You may walk through some dark seasons. Things may happen that you don't expect. You might feel alone. You're not alone. God is there. He loves you. He cares about you and your situation. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Feels like a setup, right? Mary is cautious. Feels like a setup. Boom, angel. Hey, I'm Gabriel from God. Greetings, just so you know, you're highly favored. The Lord is with you. Uh, okay, what's the ask, right? What's the ask? She's no fool. She's no sucker. She's like, this is interesting. What's happening? It's not every day an angel shows up. And you haven't heard anything about an angel in some 400 years. What's going on? Verse 30. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. Just don't be afraid. God loves you. You have favor. There's no reason to fear because we've found favor with God. Verse 31, you will conceive and you'll give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus and he'll be great and he'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. Now, this is amazing. You gotta imagine a little Hebrew girl growing up hearing the scriptures and the stories of the scriptures and hearing Isaiah and knowing that someday they were waiting for a savior and that he was gonna be born of a young maiden and that someday some Hebrew girl would be the chosen young maiden that, that the son of God was going to come and that the, the Messiah in the line of David was gonna come through. And here's an angel and he's saying, Mary, guess what? You're the one. You're the one, that's awesome. And Mary, in a very pragmatic way, and I love, I can just imagine Luke recording this, Mary saying, I was like, how will this be since I am a virgin? 
Last week, we talked a little bit about how the text could mean young maiden or virgin, but this is clearly now virgin. She's like, hey, the stuff that makes babies hasn't happened yet. Verse 35, the Lord answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Where's the power coming from? Not from Mary. Mary's not required to provide the power. You're not required to provide the power. I love the, uh, it's this old sports saying, but it fits here too, is that the greatest ability you have is your availability, right? It's not her ability, it's her availability. It's her willingness to be used by God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is gonna have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive, she's in her six months. Verse 37, for no word from God will ever fail. We talk a lot about Christian cliches sometimes or verses that go good on a t-shirt or on a bumper sticker. That's a pretty good one. That's a pretty good one. If you want to get a tattoo around your arm, like that's the one I would, you might think about going with. There's some other ones, but they're longer, so you got to be really buff. <laughs> Just saying. No word from God will ever fail. God keeps his promises. What he says will happen, will happen. We know he's faithful. And look at Mary's response, her perfect response. She says, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Mary has the perfect response. She says, okay, okay, I can be available. You've, you've, you've decreed and, and said that this is what should happen. I trust you. If it's your power and your authority and your plan, then I'm in. And then she does something incredible. She sings a song. Now, we don't know the melody of it or how any of those things went, but we know that it was impactful enough for her that she maintained that song long enough to well into her later years and seasons of life be able to articulate, hey, Luke, this is the song that I sang in response to what God was doing in my life in that moment. And so I'm gonna have someone come and, and read her song. You don't have to sing it. <laughs> and just listen to Mary's response. Luke 1, 46. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. For he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he has promised our ancestors. Amen. What an incredible and perfect 
response from Mary. Verse 38, she says, may your words be fulfilled. And then she sings this song about the goodness and the kindness and the faithfulness of God. Maybe the thing to remember this Christmas is that even if everything is not perfect, God still has a perfect Christmas plan. He still has a perfect Christmas plan. Let me give you a couple of keys so that when things don't go perfect, you can pull out from Mary's story and remember that God has a perfect Christmas plan. And the first one is this. God's perfect Christmas plan starts with this statement. I am with you. And if you really believe that he's with you, then you have everything you need to experience a perfect Christmas this season, even though everything is not ideal. He's with you. And I think Mary actually believed this, that God was with her, and this changes everything. I think about all the times that I've been through and think about the times you've been through that were bleak. Some of my best memories are times when life was not ideal, and things were not perfect. I would never have designed those circumstances. But in the midst of those circumstances, guess what? God showed up. Why? Because he's faithful. And you can always count on his presence. Sometimes when life isn't perfect, it's not how I've chosen it. I have to remember God's still with me. Then when I look back, I go, oh, yeah, that was, that was kind of perfect. Everything was out of control, but God was there. And it was kind of perfect. God's perfect Christmas plan involves him being with you. The second thing is this. He tells Mary, listen, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. You know what happens when we're really committed to everything going perfect? We get really worried about things. Ever been around someone who really has to have everything go perfect? It's not fun. It's not fun at all. You walk in, can I help? No, don't touch anything. Just your body temperature in here is throwing off my oven, <laughs> right? Don't touch that. It's right where I want it. I asked you to put that thing out. It's not how I need it, right? It just breeds fear, this pressure that we put on ourselves to create a perfect Christmas. It breeds tension and, and frustration and stress, and there's no reason for that. God says, don't be afraid, even though it doesn't look perfect to you. If I'm with you, you don't have anything else to worry about. Mary had tons of reason to fear. Will Joseph accept me? Or will he reject me? Will he send me back to my family? Or will he kill me? Or will he take me in? Will I have this baby on a donkey? Will we make it there? Will there be a room for us? Many of those fears came true. Yet she was still okay. Why? Because she was not alone. And God was with her because three the power of the most high will overshadow you if God's with you you have nothing to fear because you're not on your own it's not your power that makes things perfect if I cook everything just right if I invite the right person if I have too much to drink or not enough to drink if I have enough of the every, everything will just go perfect it's in my power and my control if I get just the right gift if I write just the right words if I do everything perfectly then it will be on it's like no it's not your power did Mary have things to do you bet she had to partner she had to be active. She had to get on the donkey. God didn't just like whoosh her over to there, right? She had to take steps and she had to partner every step of the way. But it wasn't all her power. It wasn't none of her power. It was just the power of the Most High was more important than her power. Amen. 
and partnered with her power, everything that needed to happen happened perfectly. I can imagine there's no way that Mary would have said, you know what, at nine months, it actually is really important because the prophet Isaiah said that that was going to be in the town of Bethlehem that the Savior would be born. And the angel told me I was going to give birth to the Savior, but I'm in Nazareth and Bethlehem is 90 miles away. So that's God's problem. I'm not going 90 miles. Right? She had time to get there if that was important to her. But God was like, don't worry about it. Decree issued, government enforced, relocation project to send you where you're supposed to and need to be. So she was willing and took the steps that she had to take, but she didn't have to control every piece to get every domino to fall right where it needed to fall. God was in control. His power was the main power. Yes, she played an integral part, but she didn't get herself pregnant right then and there in the perfect moment. She didn't send shepherds, angels. She didn't later send wise men with gifts so they would have provisions and all the things that they would need, especially when Herod went crazy and they had to escape to Egypt. She didn't take care of all of those elements. She just controlled the part she was responsible for, and she trusted the power of God. What if we had that approach this holiday season? All right, I'll do the things I can control. And I'll trust God with the things I can't control. And beyond that, it's in his hands. What if that looked like perfection to us? What if we really believe the last thing that she learns, that God's word doesn't fail? What if we really believe that God's word doesn't fail? That God will do amazing things in even imperfect circumstances. His promises are yes and amen. We can count on and trust in his promise because his word doesn't fail. I wonder if this Christmas season we can trust him even in imperfect times, even in imperfect situations, and even in imperfect circumstances. If we can find a way to trust that God's love is sufficient for us, and then we could celebrate and actually experience all the joy he wants us to experience this holiday season. Would you stand with me? Tomorrow, we are going to walk through a little bit more of the Christmas story. We're going to really focus on the peace that God promises. But today, I just wanted to take the pressure off. It's not going to be perfect, and that's okay. It's not going to be ideal, and that's okay. In the midst of all of that, God is still on the throne We can count on his presence. We can count on his power. We don't have to be afraid because his word never fails. What a joyful Christmas we might have if we had that attitude going in. So Jesus, we've sung this a couple times this holiday season because I just think it's imperative that we get it. But we can actually experience joy in the midst of all the stuff, all the pressure, all the stuff that's going out there. And God, I just right now, I pray for those that are struggling with the fact that everything isn't ideal right now. Their health isn't ideal. Their finances aren't ideal. Their plans haven't been ideal. The work situation hasn't been ideal. Everything that we would hope would just be exactly where we want it to be for it to be a Christmas 
miracle that way, but it doesn't look like it's going to be ideal. But the Christmas miracle is that in the midst of all the mess, you show up, you're faithful, your power is sufficient. You give us everything we need if we would just trust you. And maybe that would be the ideal thing that we could do this Christmas season. And maybe that would help us to realize that this is all about what you've done for us and not what we have to do to figure it out. And that would be a cause of joy. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Can we sing joy to the world one more time as we, uh, as we close?